Good morning. Welcome. We are glad you're here today. Every week we've got uh, new, new people that come and be a part of us, and I hope you'll stick, stay with us. Uh, we'd love to walk with you and you with us in our faith journey together. Um, most of you know that uh, on Wednesdays during the school year, we have uh, special kids that we love on. Uh, they come here after school, and they get tutored by so-called grandparents in the church, and uh, have supper with them, and have a snack with them, and go to Bible class with them, that sort of thing. And it's called our grandparent program. And today, there's a luncheon for them and their family. So I'd like all those kids and their parents to stand up today. We want to welcome you today to our service. Okay. Great. Thanks, kids. Thanks for being a part of us. I think you're going to leave right now. That's all you get. You get to leave right now. All right. Going to go to their own class this morning. You know, uh, take a moment and fill out a connection card if you haven't done that yet. You know, uh, I heard a story this week about a preacher who got sick while he was preaching. He sat down and they felt his head and he was, he was steaming hot. And a guy sent his son to go get a thermometer and, and came back and the kid brought a barometer. And the preacher held it and it said, dry and windy. And, you know, there are some weeks when I leave church and I think, man, that didn't come out right today. I fell over my words and I didn't, it just didn't come out right. And that was, last week was one of those Sundays, you know, and I was talking about that we're all priests. You remember that? And that, that we, were, we were trying to paint the picture of our need for home, uh, home care for our, our hundred members that just can't get out anymore. And, you know, everybody rose up and they're all taken care of now. And so I just want to thank you for responding. In spite of me, not because of me, in spite of me, I, I love this church as we, as we present the need. Uh, you always rise up to the challenge, and, and thank you for that so much. We're here to love the Lord together. Um, we don't have it all together. We know that. We've, 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 we've made it obvious to one another that our lives are far from perfect and being what they need to be. Uh, we just know we need Jesus Christ. We need somebody at the center of our lives who can make us better and uh, a person who will forgive us from all the sins we've committed, it will love us in spite of all that, and that's what Jesus Christ has done. And that's why we love being the church. It's not because we're all that. It's not because we're better than anybody. I keep saying that because I think Christians, we can start thinking we're better than other people. We're not. We're not better than anybody else. We're just saved people because of Jesus. That's the difference. And we have a different person that we live for, not ourselves. We're here to love him. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for drawing us together today. We are thankful to be here to just focus on the things that matter most for a brief time. And I pray as a result of being here, Father, we'll be a little bit changed, a little bit better, a little different, and more than anything, that you will be more central than anything else in our lives. We thank you in Christ. Amen. So I got this thing. You know what it is. And it's not mine. It's hot pink, so it wouldn't be mine, you know. But it is, uh, it, what is it, obviously? It's a selfie stick, right? Selfie, you know, became popular about 15 years ago. It's been that long already. When that Australian guy got drunk and he took a picture of himself. And he called it a selfie. And so it caught on, didn't it? Now, some of you are young enough that researchers say by the end of your life, you will have taken over 25,000 selfies. I do not want to go on a vacation with you. Okay. <laughs> You know, selfies, they're kind of fun, but you know, if you're with people who like selfies, they're always distracting you from whatever. If you've ever been on a trip with someone, oh, oh, this is a good one, this is a good one, you know, and you want to enjoy the journey, you don't want to have to be stopping for selfies all the time. So they can be very distracting. They can also be dangerous. More than 50 people have died while taking selfies, you know, because they haven't guarded their footing. They've gone over a cliff. 
You know, they're trying to make a lasting memory. It's hard to have a memory if you're going to be dead, you know. And, um, you know, also, they, they're just, they can be disappointing, you know, because you can, you can even miss the bigger parts of life and the journey. This guy was on this boat. Do you remember seeing this on Instagram? Uh, there's a whale going by, and he's on his phone taking a selfie. <laughs> you know, you know you can, you, there's so many things about life, and it's certainly the Christian life. But really, this whole thing about selfies, you know, it's really so rooted in who we are, isn't it? I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's an illustration that that's our issue, isn't it? Our issue is self. Now, this season in mainline denomination churches, many of you came out of mainline denominational churches, and so you, you celebrate a season called Lent. It was a play, and you sacrificed something. You gave up chocolate or you gave up something, you know, for a while. We don't really observe Lent, but there's nothing wrong with the concept of Lent at all because it really is a mirror or maybe a microcosm of the whole discipleship process because growing in Jesus means we are learning to become less and less so he becomes more and more, right? That's what being a disciple is. I want him to be more central and me to become less and less. And the big issue with this Christian walk is that it's me. I'm the issue. There's nothing, there's nothing insufficient in Jesus there, there's nothing, there's nothing that's, that's bad about the church except people, except us who still wrestle with keeping ourselves more central than they ought to be. So in these series of messages, as we're looking toward April 16th, when we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, we're just calling this giving up. We're, we're giving up who we are. We're giving up more of ourselves. John the Baptist said, you know, Jesus has to become greater. I have to become less. That's what being a disciple of Christ is all about increasingly. I've, I, he's got to be more and more a, a, my Lord and my Savior, and I've got to be less and less on the throne of my heart. And while theoretically and practically we do that when we're baptized into Christ, we're putting to death the old nature, and we're being resurrected to be a new person, practically speaking, that old flesh nature, that sin nature, it is hard to keep dead. It, it, it comes up and it rears its head and it wants to control us. So that's why we're going to start with Matthew chapter 4. If you have your Bibles on your devices or in actual paper form, that's where we are today. Um, and, and Matthew, of course, is a biographer of Jesus, writing the life of Jesus. And here is Jesus uh, right before his... Um, Right before he begins his public ministry, which is going to last for about three and a half years, this is what Matthew says. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread. Oh, I'm sorry, I said that. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it's also written, do not put your Lord, the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. You know, this is, we can relate to this. I mean, we like to think that, that, that 
I mean, how many of us have read the scripture over and over again? It may be new to some of you, but many of you have been here so many times. But you know, I find in the scripture, every time I open it, I need it for this week. I need it for now. I, I can never get to a point where I think, oh, this is my Bible reading for that. I don't need that. I got that down. No way. I still need this. So let's talk about temptation. First of all, the route of temptation. Jesus had just come from the Jordan River where he was baptized. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit came upon him in the form of a dove, and then a voice from heaven said, it was God speaking, he said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And then the Spirit of God led him to this wilderness area where Jesus was fasting for 40 days and 40 nights in preparation to get steeled up for the the struggle of doing public ministry before the public eye for three and a half years before he dies on the cross for our sins. Now, sin, the the tempter comes and assaults him, but he comes out strong, ready for ministry. If only that were always true for us every time we were tempted. When When I go on a trip on the interstate, I'm like a lot of you, the gas station's gotta be on the right. I don't wanna get off, wait, turn left, go across the overpass, and go have gas over, no, I mean go get gas, not have gas. Actually, I have gas about all the time. So this is, so, so I'm not going to go over and get gas and come back over. Or I get off, I hate it when I get off and, okay, there's a, there's a Culver's, and I get off and two miles that way. There's no way I'm going to drive two miles for Culver's when I can have a, a cheap White Castle right there at the, you know, whatever it is. You know, I, I, the first time I remember needing, needing to get off somewhere on the way north, I get off at, uh, on 465 North and I get off at 56th Street thinking I'm getting off quickly. And you know what it is. You can't get back on. That engineer must have had a a bad hangover that morning when he designed an exit that you can't get back on. When I think about that, I I think about the times in life when we will be tempted to take, we're we're in Christ, and then we take this just brief off-ramp. And what happens? You can't get back on. It's not as easy to get back on as you think it's going to be. And you get off to follow a temptation, and it takes you down a road. And sometimes you get to a place in your life, and you think, how in the world did I end up here? And you're lost. And for some, some of you could give a testimony today that you took one of those off-ramps, and it took you years and years and years after lots of pain, scars, and hardship to get your back, way back to Christ. Sometimes, maybe you get off quickly, and you get back on, but something has been harmed along the way in your relationship with Christ. Sometimes you end up just following the flow of traffic because it's easier. You have no way to get back, and so you just do what comes natural. And easy. That's how temptation works so often. And how many have lost their marriages? They've ended up with addictions. They've lost their careers. They've lost their financial footing. They've even lost their salvation because they weren't careful about the off-ramps. They thought somehow it would be easy to get back on. Dan Nolte was interviewed in the Sports Illustrated back in 2012. They were talking to him about steroid use. The, the, the height of that was about the early 90s in the professional athletic world. And uh, McNulty uh, was, was first uh, on the farm team from Minnesota, and then he ends up uh, playing for the Yankees. But he tells about steroid use, and he said... Um, he said he knew he was a cheater. He said, he said, you didn't need a written rule. 
I was violating clear principles that were laid down within the rules. I have no idea how many guys were using, but I would assume anybody that was had some sort of conviction that this was against the rules. To say it wasn't cheating to me, it's just a fallacy. It was a total disadvantage to play clean. He, he says this, it was the love of money and superstardom that hooked him. And he said, they don't care if you have character. They don't care if you ruin your life. They don't care about, they care about performance. Nobody once ever challenged my steroid use because I was performing. I was getting bigger and I had always been thin. And now they're telling me, ah, I look great. And I'm playing for the New York Yankees. Now you can take that testimony and you can apply it into any feature of life. Well, you just believe the lie of the evil one. I'll look better. I'll be better. I'll feel better. I'll be happier if I follow this path. And it leads us into such areas of destruction. And so after the wilderness, instead of Jesus being destroyed, you know, he comes out full of power to deal with his life because he stayed the course. Be careful of the route the evil one wants to take you. It can happen to any of us at any time. Then, then we deal with the assurance of, of temptation. You can be assured that being in Christ, you're going to deal with a battle of temptation. It's a sure thing. There are no surprises in this. No, and I've heard sometimes Christians say, I shouldn't be feeling, I shouldn't be tempted by that. I shouldn't be feeling that way. I shouldn't be wanting that. If I were really a Christian, I wouldn't want, well, who says? Because we're, 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 hope, we're, not, we're not only we not only have the Spirit of God in us, but we have these still unredeemed bodies. And they have desires. There are desires of the flesh, no matter what it is, that, that grips us and, and wants to claim us as its own. There's no such thing as a, as a life, as a believer in Christ, a follower of Christ, that, that is without temptation. You'll never be there. None of us will ever be there. Now, the change, the nature of them will change. The kinds of sins and temptations will change. Now, if, you have a, if you're a Christian today, if you're a Christ follower, and you say, well, I have a tranquil life. I don't really deal with temptation. I don't really, I don't really struggle with anything. I don't think you know yourself. Or you're not following Christ as closely as you should be. Because Satan attacks. He does attack. Now, the Bible does say, if you resist Satan, he will flee from you. But then it says he'll come back at a more opportune time. So there are seasons, I think, where we're not going through spiritual conflict. But I think those seasons are rare. Um, the speed with which we live life, all the clutter in our lives that goes on, it, it, they are prime. These are pri this is a prime period in the history of, of, of mankind for us, for the evil one to do a, a, a job on us and to get us to... To, to wander off and to, to live and to take our lives somewhere. Now, the, pro the problem with us who are in Christ, we, we, when we talk about sin, we automatically think of the biggies like the obvious ones. Addiction, adultery, sex before marriage, uh, you know, cheating, um, illegal kinds of things, you know. Or if you, have a, if you have an anger problem where, where you, that you, that's very obvious, something like that. But you know, the, the, the sneaky thing about temptation is there's so many things of the heart that are even so difficult to identify, like pride and arrogance and a judgmental spirit and a legalistic attitude or self-centered selfishness, or hoarding, 
whether it's, I'm talking about our person as a person or things. You know, when we're failing to be generous, we, we, most of us think we're more generous than we really are. This is the tricky thing, that there are all kinds of things in the heart that we, 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 don't even, we don't recognize, we don't see, and they can consume us from the inside without us knowing it. And we miss the greater things that Jesus Christ has for us. And so we may not be dealing with something that's obviously immoral, but that doesn't mean all is well at the heart level. Jesus Christ, thankfully, saves us not only in spite of our temptations, but he saves us through them. And when we identify our temptations, we identify the clutter of our hearts, the sin of our hearts, how Satan attacks us from the inside out. When we identify that and we get a grip and we're willing to, to be transparent enough before the Spirit of God and before others in Christ who are brothers and sisters, the, the healthier we're going to be. Now, then we have the anatomy of temptation. It's interesting how Satan tries to, to get to Jesus. He tempts him with three things, and it's not women and addiction and greed. Those are the biggies, you know, we think. He tempts him with bread and power and safety. So Satan says, turn these stones to bread. Jesus said, man should not live by bread alone. Uh, he shows him the world and promises power and authority. Jesus says, don't put the Lord your God to the test. He takes him top of a mountain. Throw yourself down from here. The angels will protect you. You know, worship the Lord only. You know, so, so these temptations are battled, obviously, with Scripture. But I want you to notice that this temptation that comes before Jesus, they're not necessarily at the, at the outset. They don't look like evil things of themselves. There's nothing wrong with eating bread. But if Jesus would do it now, it would break his fast, which is all in preparation for the cross. And so... It would set him up for other wrongs. There's nothing wrong with wanting safety. But if he chose the safe route now, it's not going to prepare him for the cross, at which time he might change his mind and take the safe route then and not go to the cross. It's nothing, there's nothing wrong with exercising power. And Jesus is going to exercise his power over and, again, over and over again. But to do it now would be for the reason of taking glory for himself when he came to give glory to his father. It would be self-serving instead of God-serving. See, they're all good things. But they're at the wrong time, wrong place, wrong way. Is there anything wrong with wanting your kids to have the best and, and, and be the best and challenging them? Not at all. But if you want them to have the best and be the best, and your first objective isn't getting them to intimately know Jesus Christ, then something is wrong. Is there anything wrong with wanting a career and wanting, wanting to do well in your job and be ambitious and, and have a promotion? Not at all. It's a fine thing, but if it means you have to sacrifice your integrity or lose a healthy relationship with your wife and your kids, then it's wrong. And Satan has consumed so many families by the drive for success. I mean, we could go on and on about all kinds of good things that, we, that, that are before us that we can enjoy, but if they distract us and they keep us from Jesus Christ being central, if they keep me holding that holding that selfie stick out there so that I'm the center. 
It's all going to collapse, friends, one day. It's all going to fade away. That's why we have, you see, that's why this scripture is more difficult than you think. And I'm not, I'm not here, I've told you before, I'm not one that's going to begin to tell you that I have it worked out and, and, and I'm always a conqueror. I am not. And the hardest thing for me is to tell my wife the times when I have felt and seen pride come up in my life, in my thoughts, and confess that. It's an embarrassing thing. Then there's the defeat of temptation. What do we do with this battle? You know, we preach what we do. We get to the end of a message and that, okay, these three things. Here are the three steps, you know. Got an anger problem? Here are three steps. Got a sin problem? Here are three steps. And most of that's hogwash, you know. Because it's just more, it's more integrated than that. You know, I could tell you now, uh, okay, here are three steps. Uh, go to church every week, read your Bible every day, and pray. I mean, if you're, if you're at the pier, if you're in the children's center, if you're in a, a life group and questions come up, those are the typical answers, right? Well, you got to go to church every week. You got to read your Bible. You got to pray. I, I have known people who have gone to church every week. They read their Bible and they pray and they're a mess. You ever known people like that? Has that been you before? You believe the Bible? You've gone to church? You pray with your family, play with the kids at mealtime, and inside you're shriveling because you know all is not right in there. Happens. Friends, we have to be enraptured by the person of Jesus. The bottom line, that's what it is. We have to be so enraptured by who he is and what he's done for us that... Why would I want to fool around with that relationship? Why would I want to treat him less than who he is? Why would I want to displease him? Anyway, we will always have this voice in us. Because, because our bodies aren't redeemed, we'll always have this voice saying, you need that. You'd look better with that. You'd look good driving that. You'd look good living there. You should live there. You've deserved it. You need to reward yourself. We'll always have that. Of course she's flirting with you. Look at you. Of course he's flirting with you. You're a babe. <laughs> this is what the evil one does. You know, he, he, gets, he gets in us and we start believing the lies of the evil. When we lo- if we're enraptured with Jesus Christ, friends, it's harder for Satan to get a foothold. It's just harder to get there. You know, uh, Jesus, I mean, you ever said to your kids, you know, you know I put my foot down. Or wives, you ever said that to your husband? You know, how'd that work out for you? Uh, you know, put my foot. Jesus in the wilderness here, what's he, what's he doing? He said, I'm putting my foot down. I'm putting my foot down. And he did put his foot down. And he resisted the evil one. And he came out ahead. He came out strong. But there came a time later, three and a half years later, when he put his foot down. And what happened? There was no one there, not even his father. He cried out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There was nowhere to land his feet. But why did he go to the cross? How could he go to the cross? Because everything that went before and because he was deeply enraptured by you and me. His love was so intense for you and me that even when his father forsook him, he stayed the course for that we might have a living relationship with the living God. What a Savior and what a Lord. Some of you here today could tell all kinds of stories about a detour in life that you took, you know, had an affair, you embezzled, you cheated on your taxes, 
You started drinking, ended up in alcoholism or addiction of some kind. You, you wake up one day and say, how did this happen? How did I get here? Well, praise God you're here. Doesn't matter what wrong turn you've made. The good news in Christ is you can always start over. Always start over. You can always get back on track. But you have to want to. You know, we have to want to. You know what the biggest temptation in this whole text is? Is when Satan says, if you're the son of God. And that's what Satan likes to whisper in us. You're a child of God. You think you're a child of God? Ha! Look at your life. You know, you think you're a child of God? Everything about our victory, our conquering, the evil one, begins with our identity in Jesus Christ. And when anytime he tempts us, the best way to begin is, look, Satan, I'm a child of the king. I'm a child of God. And you have no right, you have no hold on me. You have no power over me because greater is the one that's in me than you in the world. About 20 years ago now, it's been that John Krakauer wrote his book, Into Thin Air, about the expedition of those who went to the summit at Mount, Mount Everest. And uh, there was loss of life in that expedition. Uh, there was a man named Andy Harris who stayed too long at the summit. And the others had left and reached uh, the base camp. And Andy, on the way down, he, he was lacking oxygen. And he stopped and he radioed the camp. He was able to do that and said he was desperate for oxygen. He died where he was at that location. Yet, around him were filled canisters of oxygen. They kept telling him when they knew his location, do you see the canisters? <laughs> They're filled with oxygen. And he argued with them on the radio. Why? Because what he needed to reason was oxygen. And because he was depleted of oxygen, he couldn't put the directions together and argued to the point of his death. You know, there are a lot of arguments given why a person won't follow Jesus. I'm not good enough. I've sinned too deeply. Why would he love me? Uh, I don't know that I believe in him. All kinds of reasons. And people will die in sin and shame with him who is life nearby and all around. He's within our grasp always. If you're in Christ, you know, he is in you always available. He's our very oxygen, our breath. If he's not your breath yet, please, please let us walk with you to the cross. There's a life in him that you can't get in any other way, and it's a life everlasting, but also it's a life for here. It's a better life here. It's, a, it's, it's knowing you have somebody to hold you up, somebody to walk with you, some, some base for your life, a core to your life, substance to your life, worth and meaning in your life that's like, that comes in no other way. He is worthy. He is Lord. He is life. He is our oxygen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for being so real to us, for being an honest speaker into our lives. And I pray, Father, even today, we will breathe you in with all that we have. And we will not want to live in any other way. If anybody here, Father, has taken the off-ramp, I pray today we'll be about getting on the right route. I pray if anybody's considering the off-ramp, that today they've encouraged to stay the course. And I pray, Father, if there's anybody here who's never been on this course of following Jesus, today will be a day they find their way to the one, the only one who gives life. In Jesus' name.
Amen.